0: Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Alex Nogales, who is President of the National Hispanic Media Coalition, NHMC. Today we will discuss the National Latino Media Council and National Hispanic Media Coalition Writers Program. Alex is also Chief Executive Officer of the National Hispanic Media Coalition. Since the late 1990s, he was elected president of the organization. He has advocated for the Latino community. He led boycotts against the advertisers of the syndicated Howard Stern radio show as a means of getting Stern off the air when he offended the Latino community and the family of the late singing star Selena Quintanilla Perez with his comments following the singer's tragic murder. Under his leadership, the NHMC has filed more than 50 petitions to deny broadcast licenses with the Federal Communications Commission, including one against a Spanish-language radio company for encouraging its DJs to air pornographic radio programming to boost their ratings. Alex also led high-profile demonstrations against ABC and its parent company Disney for its lack of diversity and apparent exclusion of American Latinos from local news reporters and anchor jobs and intensified discussions with local TV stations across the country. As a leader of one of the more visible organizations under the umbrella of the National Latino Media Council, for which NHMC acts as secretariat and staff, Alex was instrumental in the signing of Memoranda of Understanding with NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox in the year 2000. Alex, welcome.
1: Thank you very much, Elena.
0: This, I think, has such broad reach, the topic overall of media because it's reaching people across the country in all walks of life and all varieties of backgrounds and groups. Would you please, before we get started on the actual writers' program, would you help us understand what we're talking about in terms of the landscape in within the uh, networks and the television stations? Of
1: course, stations? Elena, Of course. Uh, you know, how we are perceived, is always going to be the way that we are treated. And Latinos across the nation right now are not being treated very well. We are, if you listen to some of the right-wing DJs and television personalities, um, you would think that Latinos are to be blamed for everything that's wrong with America. And by that I mean the restrictive and very racist um, legislation in Arizona and Alabama in Georgia, and other states that are contemplating the same type of legislation. So it's a critical time for us. It is a moment of civil rights for us because the implications of how we are perceived are making their way through every cultural norm, every cultural apparatus that we have in this country. So um, it is that critical, then, that Latinos participate in media at all levels, be it radio, be it television, be it film, so that the perception of who we are turns from where it is right at this moment to something that is more positive and better for our community.
0: Would you say that that perception that you were describing to us about how many of the organizations, certainly in the political environment, if I understood correctly what you were saying, have this idea that Latinos are behind many of the problems, would you say that that perception is reflected in television programming today? Is that still the case?
1: Primarily in news and public affairs programs, uh, in entertainment there more aware, they're more aware because we've been working with the presidents of ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox Entertainment. So they're they're more aware and they're more sympathetic. But if you listen to um, Fox News, for example, you would think that they were still in the prehistoric times. Uh, the way that they describe not only the Latino community but other communities of uh, color as well, it is shameful that any network, would, um, would broadcast material that is so prejudicial and so riddled with misconceptions and so ignorant of real facts.
0: What percentage of the programming today would you say, if, if you happen to have any figures handy, represents the Latino community?
1: Are you, if you're talking about television, then we have very low numbers. But we have lower numbers, even worse numbers in film, okay? But if we're talking about television um, and whether you're talking about uh, in front of camera personnel or back of camera, the numbers are, are shocking regardless. As you know, Latinos are now 17% of the U.S. population, and Latinos hold less than 2% of the jobs in front of camera and back of camera. And that, that gives you an idea of, of what the landscape looks like. Now, you know, people will say, well, you know, of course there's a huge number of Latinos that listen to and and uh, look at um, Spanish-language television. That's very true. But um, unlike what um, our friends over at Univision, Telemundo, and, and Mundo Fox would want everyone to believe, we have less than 20% of the U.S. population that is monolingual. Everybody else, uh, in terms of American Latinos, are bilinguals or monolingual English. So the majority of Latinos across the nation are watching English language television and programming.
0: Given those numbers... And I think, of course, that many folks who are in business and certainly those who are in marketing are aware of some of the data that you just shared with us, the the 20%, so that the vast majority of the Latino population in the United States is either monolingual or bilingual. Doesn't that stand to reason that the folks who are in charge of the programming would be targeting the Latino community and having them represented in the programming itself?
1: Of course it does Uh, but they don't know they don't have the experience of knowing uh, first of all where to look and Latinos have not been integrated into the television circle by that I mean that if you look at the talent agencies the representation of Latino clients is very very low we have a joke over here in Hollywood and that is that the agents don't go any further East than La Cienega Boulevard in other words That's not where Latinos are are at. Uh, I'm talking about west of of La Cienega. We're east of that on the whole. So it's a joke, but there's a lot of truth in that, and that is uh, that they don't know where to go look for Latino talent, and they don't have most of the time Latino representation among their ranks that will take the trouble and the time to go and find Latino talent.
0: Is it that there aren't enough individuals with the skill sets? Let, let's take for a second if we look at behind the camera, as you were dividing it earlier, as in front of and behind the camera. If we look at, say, behind the camera sorts of skills and training and abilities, is the argument potentially that they're making that there aren't people with experience and skills to fill those roles and those jobs?
1: You know, that is an excuse that I've heard for years and years and years, and it doesn't wash. There's uh, When people were not looking, and because the landscape of media is so large, a lot of Latinos did get their training. A lot of Latinos did go to major universities to learn their craft, and they paid their prices. Uh, they paid their dues by working under sympathetic individuals who were trying to bring them up. So it doesn't wash. I mean, there's a lot of talented people out there that have the experience base to get into a job. What we lack is opportunity. And look at, these are jobs that are very high paying. So nobody wants to give up that kind of power. You know, you'd rather hire your pendicle um, son-in-law than give the job to someone who is so outside of the circle of people that you know. And so therefore, Latinos, particularly Latinos, are not getting the opportunities that um, that we deserve and and can contribute to by being there.
0: Now, there are a number of folks who certainly in front of the cameras have made names for themselves, whether it's singers and performers. I just saw that Jennifer Lopez was 38th in the Forbes list of the 100 most powerful women in the world. And along with her, there were a couple of other big Latina names. So there certainly are, and like them, many others in entertainment, Latinos who have made their way, broken the barrier, are those individuals helping pave the way? Are they opening doors for some other individuals who are trying to get in? How is that working out?
1: Well, I don't happen to know the ones that you are talking about on a personal level, okay? Um, Sam Hayek as you know, is Mexican-born and educated, and uh, and that is part of the problem that we have in the entertainment industry, that when in fact you d- you do see Latino faces, or faces that have been recruited out of a uh, country south of the border where these folks are very well known, you know what I mean. So you have 55 million Latinos in the United States, and you are hard pressed to find U.S. American Latinos that have been brought forward to become stars, as you put it, all right? So I don't know the history of the two people that uh, you're talking about um, in terms of what do they do to help the Latino, the American Latino, progress. Um, But, you know, it's a handful of people regardless. I mean, proportionally speaking, if we look at who is at the top of the charts in terms of popularity, in terms of power, in terms of, you know uh, visibility it's a handful and that is not proportional to the number of latinos living in the united states you mentioned uh, salma hayek well you know who else is on that list i think is a young woman who is over or modern family and sofia vergara and, and those are two people but you know we're much larger than just two people it's a huge community 55 million latinos residing in this country You get beyond those two or below those two, and you're hard-pressed to find any Latinos that have that acclaim.
0: What about the argument that, and I think you mentioned it earlier, some of the individuals make that Latinos are not watching entertainment or news in English, but that rather they're focusing their energy on Spanish language programming or that they're not watching television at all because they don't relate to the programming that's available.
1: That doesn't make sense. Nielsen will tell you that Latinos are the biggest watchers of television today. We're consuming more hours of television than any other group in America. So that doesn't wash at all. So, uh, you know, I've heard this argument that Latinos are not looking at English language television And I have a call already to Nielsen to discuss the numbers. And I I, I saw that and it didn't make any sense to me because, you know, going across the country I hear and I talk to other Latino leaders and we discuss, you know, what are Latinos watching, what are Latinos doing, and so forth. And it doesn't make any sense to me. But some of the numbers that have been reported without um, sources incidentally, and, in fact, that's why I called Nielsen to find out if those numbers are coming from them or where are these writers getting those numbers. You know, the proof is always in the, in the pudding, and by that I mean if you have research that says one thing or another, great. Let's see the research so that we can all agree that it's, that it's claim um, uh, research. But when people claim this or that and don't give any sources, those numbers are very, very suspect. And I, I'm referring to an audio that came out not too long ago, about a week, 10 days ago. And I was disturbed by that because it, it says something about the Latino community that is not convenient for us. And that is that we're not watching English language television in the numbers um, that Nielsen is reporting.
0: Many marketers look at diverse markets the emerging markets, to use the politically correct term of late, as the source of growth for the future, because demographically that's where we're seeing the largest percentage of growth, and within those markets, of course, the Latinos. Would you say that that's an accurate reflection in terms of this news and entertainment field?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And the conversations that we have with Uh, the president of uh, news at ABC, NBC, CBS, and even Fox, Um, and that we have with the entertainment presidents as well, they want that demographic. They're fighting for demographic. You know, it really is about demographics. It's who has the youngest number of viewers, Latinos. Who has this huge number of people that are watching a lot of television, Latinos. So who doesn't want that market? It is the market of the future, the the market of the now and in the future, because it's like new ground. It's a new frontier, an area that hasn't been mined. You know, the other um, uh, markets have already been mined to their max. Uh, There's very very little room for growth. But when you come to the Latino market, everybody wants it. They just don't know how to go about and get it.
0: Alex, would you agree with the argument that some people are making that when they say that Latinos aren't watching English-language television, it's because they don't relate to the, the plots or the sitcom scenarios? Do you think there's any truth to that?
1: Yeah, I think it's nonsense. I think it's just talk. Um, you know, you put a good um, show on um, that is Latino-themed, and we're right there. I mean, the numbers that that, um, were being reported in terms of some of the, like the George Lopez show, like uh, uh, even Modern Family. I mean, Latinos are watching those shows, you know. Um, We love to, we love entertainment. You know who sees more films in America, proportionally speaking, than anybody else? It's Latinos. You know who uses more cell phone applications than anybody else in the nation? It's Latinos again. So we're great consumers of of the latest technology in media. We're great consumers of film, of television. We are the market of today and the future.
0: Would you say that in order for Latinos to watch, the show has to have a Latino theme? Does it have to be Latino-centered? Or would you say that Latinos are watching all sorts of programming?
1: We're watching all sorts of programming. You know, they even watch Fox to a large degree. And I'm talking about The Simpsons. They had a huge Latino following. I never could understand why, but but they do. Um, and, and there are other shows, and, and many of them are not Latino-themed. So that's not it. Um, we are always very proud and more prone to want to see a show that includes Latinos somewhere along the line, like the Fast and Furious um, films. Uh, you have huge crowds of Latinos waiting to see those programs on opening weekend. And the reason for that is because not only is it a good show, a good moving action thriller type of thing, but it includes Latinos in every one of its, of its episodes.
0: What is the National Latino Media Council and National Hispanic Media Coalition Writers program.
1: You referred earlier today, uh, but earlier in the interview, to um, the memorandums of understanding that were signed in 1999 2000 with ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox. And it was caused by the fact that uh, a local um, writer here at the Los Angeles Times, um, uh, forgetting Greg's last name, But it'll come to me before the end of this interview. He wrote an article talking about the new shows that were developed, that were going to be on the air that same year, later that year. He wrote it in May, and the shows were coming on the air in September. And he talked about the 24 new shows, and also noted that there was not one single person of color in any of the regular cast. A cast as a regular, and what that means is that these are the people, uh, the regulars are the ones that appear show after show, okay? Not necessarily the lead actor, but the person that is on the show every week. Not one single person of color. Imagine that, 24 new shows. Do the math. Uh, There's six regulars per show. That's a heck of a lot of people that are being employed, and you don't have one person of color? I mean, something's wrong with the whole formula here, you know? Especially when you consider that combined people of color are something like 33 34% of the U.S. population. And to not have one single person of color, not one African-American, Asian, Pacific American, Latino, or Native American, is incredible. So um, we decided... Um, with the NAACP, with the Asian Pacific Media Coalition, with Indians in Film and Television, that in fact this was not acceptable to us as a community, as a nationwide community. So we went to each one of the networks, and we demanded um, two things, that we start working together to uh, bring those numbers up, that they hire a vice president of diversity that reported directly to the president of entertainment so that there's no uh, hedging as to who is in charge uh, to up those numbers and we have since the year 2000 received the employment numbers of both in front and in back of camera in terms of directors writers producers uh, actors and then there's category of actors as well regulars guest actors and uh, so forth so we've been receiving all of that data for all of these years and we're very, very um, clear and sure about what the numbers are. Um, but I'm getting away from the point, and I'm please forgive me, I, I went in one direction, and then I'm, I'm trying to come back, and I don't remember the question exactly.
0: <laughs> I can tell this is near and dear to your heart. The question was very general in terms of what is the writer's program itself? And I think you're helping us understand how it got started, right?
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. And the way we got started was by looking at the numbers of writers. You know, the writers are are super important to any endeavor, be it film, be it uh, uh, television. And the reason for that is because they, you know, whether they're very bilingual, very bicultural, it doesn't matter by... As most, they, they they have a background that is projected in their writing, and so when we considered uh, where the Latino writers at the networks, there weren't any. You know, one had one, one had two, and one network, uh, very prominent, had zero. This was NBC, had zero Latino writers. Now consider, um, there were at any one time 120 to 140 writers working at any one uh, of the networks in prime time. Okay, 120, 140, that's a lot of writers, and not one single Latino. How can that be? Especially when it's so important to us, and it isn't because it's one more job. understand, again, that it's the perception that is built about a a certain minority or person of color based on what people from the outside see in, and how that translates is, is into policy, how much money you're going to give a community in education, in health, in um, public safety, and so forth. So it's more important than just the job itself, okay? So there were zero um, writers there, and we said, but this cannot be. And so we went to the networks and we said, you know, you don't know how to do this. You don't know how to get applications of, of Latinos into your writers' program." so we wanted fashion a program to bring in latinos and we did precisely that it's been 8 years now that the program the writers program has been in effect we started it in uh, um albuquerque new mexico and then we brought it up here to um california at the insistence of one of the network presidents who said to us you know it's going to be more effective if the executives are uh, right here talk and mentor some of these writers so we started off, I think, the first year we had like, I don't know, 60 or 70 applications. We just uh, closed the program in terms of the applications uh, uh, last week, and we had 190 applications. And I asked uh, 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 Jeff, who runs a program for us, um, was the quality of the writing better or worse than it has been in the past? And he told me something very interesting that goes along with something else, and that was, the writing is getting better every year. I said, why? Why, why does it get it better? And he said, I think what is happening is more and more Latinos are getting into screenwriting in, in school. They're, they're being more analytical and more methodical about what they're reporting and how they're reporting it, which goes along with a report that came out just about a week ago that for the first time ever, Latinos are in higher education in numbers proportional to our population, which is 17%. That is exciting stuff. So it really coincides, you know, that we're getting better writing, larger numbers of writers applying to this particular program because our kids are going to school and taking screenwriting uh, classes or taking television production classes and are more knowledgeable about a business that is huge, that pays very well, and is international.
0: How many participants do you have in each of the programs? You've been doing this for eight years, you said, right?
1: Yeah, and we started with 60 or 70 the first year, and now it's up to 190. But, you know, the proof of any program, is it working or not program, you have to be able to measure it. Other than that, you're just talking and the great part of what we're doing right now is the program is working the caliber of people is so great that this past year this past season um uh, um we placed ten writers at abc nbc disney and one at cbs as well those are incredible numbers when you consider that in the past you had zero writers at one of the big networks and you had one and two in some of the others so that's a tremendous success story right there. And it tells us that given uh, the opportunity, given um, the opportunity to show what you can do is working.
0: You were talking about measurement other than numbers. Do you have any way of measuring once these new writers are integrated into the system because you're sort of or they're sort of obligated to take some of the writers, if I understand correctly. Are you getting any kind of a feedback as to how that's working out in terms of the popularity of the shows or the quality of the writing, et cetera?
1: Um. You know, one of the things that that we do is that these are like our kids, you know. It isn't just a writer's program. We try and keep these alumni of the five-week program where they develop very strong bonds with one another. We try and keep them together by every other month having um, uh, a supper event. Where we bring in speakers to inspire them, to motivate them, people that are already well ingrained in the in the system, uh, so that in fact the growth doesn't stop, and to where they don't drop out because of lack of jobs. You know what I mean? It's very important to us that that these writers, um, those that, that can do it, become um, the the writers that create the shows of the future. So we want to be able to mentor them, to um, nurture them so that, in fact, they can reach those that can't, they can reach that that part of the business. Be the ones that are going to be creating the shows, um, which, you know, by osmosis, as I said before, sooner or later, it all comes out and it has a Latino flavor to it. So very important to us that not only um, they get the first gig, but that they continue to work themselves into the different stages of a writer's room, to where they become then not only the journeyman writer, but then they become the, the editor and then they become the you know, the this and the producer and the executive producer and so forth. In television, unlike in film, it is the uh, producer executive producer that is power. It is the creator of the show that is the power uh, and not the director.
0: What type of criteria are you looking for when you select individuals to participate in the program? Obviously, you have something in mind before you select these 100 people to go through your program. What can you tell us about that? Well,
1: it is not for beginning writers, okay? And we make that very clear when we start the application process. And then it's a nationwide search. And we go to all the um, major universities uh, we go to all the major organizations. We go to every place where Latino writers are incubating, where Latino writers are talking, uh, trying to envision a career in this business and so forth. And we put out the application, and the application is very clear. This is not a program for beginners. Um, this is uh, not a program where you have two people collaborating on one script. They have to put in a sample script, it can be in television, it can be film, it can be whatever it is, but they've got to show that they know um, how to build a script, how to craft a script in such a way that it works, that has great language, richness of tone, richness of, of, of language. So they have to submit a sample. And the person that runs the program for us, George um, Harris or um, Jeff Harris, uh, was a writer and also a vice president of writers over at NBC. So he's incredibly experienced. And, and he has a criteria, uh, a wonderful criteria as to what is good and what is not. So we asked those people to send in their samples, to send us a bio, to tell us why they want to write for television. You know, they've gotta want to write for television. I mean, it would be wonderful if everybody could write for film, but the fact of the matter is that there are very few films that are being produced these days. From a high of 500, 600 films, we're down to about 50 because they're putting so much money into one film uh, because of merchandising, because of international uh, distribution and so forth. The the number of films that are being made is, is minimal, minimal, minimal. So where the jobs are, that's in television. That's in cable. That's where... Content is, is constantly being called for. And so they've got to want to write for television. And, you know, unlike years of the past where uh, it was a wasteland where nobody wanted to write to, for television because it was so trite and so insignificant, everybody wants to write for television because there's some great stuff that is that is being written at HBO at Showtime at, and some of the of the um, um, commercial stations like uh uh, modern family over at ABC and so forth. There's great stuff that is going on right now. So we ask for those samples. We, we, they turn them in. We give them a number uh, to where the name does not appear. And then we send it out to be evaluated. And the evaluators, of course, uh, market, um, give it a point system based on their criteria. And then uh, I interview them to make sure that, in fact, they really want this. And they can really get away for five weeks a very intense writing where they're going they're expected to come out with one half-hour comedy script or one-hour dramatic script and when some of these writers are very prolific they have written up to two and one fellow did three scripts in that five-week session some people that write very fast and are very good and there are others that take uh, their time and five weeks is, is not unheard of so we run in like a writer's room to where uh, people sit around the table and critique each other's work. They, they read the material. They come up with new ideas and so forth, and they bond. It's so intensive that they bond. And then, like I said to you before, we make sure that they continue with that bonding by having them come over to uh, our offices that are quite large. And, and you know, we, we keep tabs on them so that, in fact, when ABC or one of the other stations says, we need some writers, do you have a list of some of your best? Yeah, sure, here they are. We had a meeting just recently with one of the talent agencies, and the same thing is going to happen there. We're going to provide them with a list of 20 of our best writers so that they can start interviewing them and hiring them as clients. Other than that, without an agent, it's very difficult to get into the business. Someone has to be able to pitch you.
0: Alex, you said you had about 100 people participating in the five-week program, which is once a year, right?
1: Um, Once a year, it's 10 people. We have 190 applications this year, but out of that 190, we whittle it down, we whittle it down until we have the top 10 people. We can only do so many at one time, you know. But consider that if we've been doing this for eight years, now you've got... 80 people involved, and good writers. I mean, people that are really excellent, and the vast majority have stayed in the business. Uh, even those that have not uh, gotten a job um, necessarily, they have stayed in the business in other parts of the business. Uh, uh, not always as writers, but as you know, directors or filmmakers or whatever. So uh, it is very um, emboldening and heartening to see that the cadre that we have built over the 8 years is working uh, that they stay together that they stay in communication and help each other with with uh leads on this or that job
0: so essentially if i understand correctly they once you narrow down the list from the initial Large group of applicants to the ten that participate in the five-week program out in California. They go back to wherever it is that they live, and they do their work from their home state. Is that correct?
1: Nope. No, we bring them all in here to California. We house those that are from uh, that are from out of town. Uh, we pay for their meals. Um, and we give them a stipend. I don't remember exactly how much it is. I think it's about 250 a, uh, a week so that, in fact, they can pay their bills. And, and we do it knowing very well that unless they have that kind of financial support, uh, they're not going to be able to participate. So we fly them in. We want them right here where they're doing a 9-to-5 kind of job. And then, you know, there are some riders that are, that are night owls. I mean, they work at night and some others that work um, better early morning. So they meet together every day for anywhere from five to six hours, and then they're expected to write and rewrite um, before or after they get through with the class uh, for the day. So they're here for five weeks, very intensive, and if you ask me where exactly, well, it's in Studio City. It's around the Hollywood area, and what we do, we bring in speakers from ABC, NBC, CBS, or Fox, and we expose them to the business, to the reality of the business. You cannot be a writer and think that you're going to be so good that if you don't know how to network, you're going to get the job. That's not the way that it works. You've got to be able to sell yourself, uh, to have people be interested in you as a person and be interested in your work because they see the potential. So it's about exposing them to an arena, to a realistic arena of what to expect. And we have, you know, well-known writers that come in to talk about their experiences, how they got to where they are, prices they had to pay, I mean, all of that. The whole Hollywood experience has got to be savored and put before them so that they know what to do as time goes along.
0: Once the program is completed, then they go back to their home states and whatever work they do, they're doing from wherever they live. Is that right?
1: You know, Hollywood is here in Hollywood. Um, writers are hired out of here. Um, it's rare that they have any film or television production, let's say in Kentucky or uh, Omaha or any of those cities. I mean, the business is located in Hollywood, California, and its environments, okay? So you don't want to have people that are out of touch with what they want to do. So I challenge them uh, to come here. I challenge them to um, cut the, the ties that bind them to their local community if they want to continue to write. Okay? If they're not serious about writing, well, okay. But all these people that come to, to this program, they're serious about it. They want this as a career. They're not going to do a career in Tampa. Necessarily, okay. So I encourage them and challenge them to come to the area to get a job over here to support themselves while they continue with their writing. Um, path. They gotta be here. There's no other way. You don't. You can't write or get a job out of these other places from from across the nation. Now, fortunately, the majority of the writers are coming from. The East Coast and the West Coast, um, about 50-50. And then we get some from Miami, and we'll get some from Chicago. But the, the, the majority, when I think back on the majority of the writers, they're coming from New Jersey, New York, and they're coming from the Los Angeles area. Uh, and, and then some from Chicago and some from Texas as well. But the majority are East and, and West.
0: Do you think that's a matter of actual numbers, that there are just more densely populated areas in where you're getting the greatest number of writers, or does it have something to do with the culture or the interest that might exist for writing in, in the rest of the country?
1: It's both. It is both. Um, you know, there's uh, proportionally more Latinos in those areas that we just discussed, Dallas, um, Chicago, New York, and and los angeles and there is a history of theater especially in new york Um there is a history of movie making such as in los angeles chicago also has some of that and dallas has some of that as well so it's a it's a it's not only the number of people that live in those areas but it's also that there is a history of theater there's a history of of some film uh... robert rodriguez is in texas for example uh... he's in uh... Um, I forget the name of the city. But he's located over there. He has his studios over there and so forth. So there is an interest. There is this, you know, this curiosity, uh, this push to train uh, people in the arts. What kind of
0: people are drawn to the program by now you have eight years under your belt you must have an idea of the profile are you you said these are not starting writers these are people who have some experience in writing already who have some writing experience under their belt what how would you describe if you will the average person that participates in the program and and that finds success ultimately
1: you know, when we started, for whatever the reason, the majority of the people that applied were uh, males. Uh, now it's 50-50, and in the last class, I think we had six Latinas and and, uh, and five males. Um, that's 11. Uh, we brought in one young kid that I think is just phenomenal out of the Inland Empire, who's 19 years old and writes like no one's business. He just lacks life experience. And I said to someone the other day, you know, um, Daniel um, is a great writer. He's going to be wonderful, but he needs life experience. And I thought for a second, and then I said, as a joke almost, but not really. I said, what he needs to have a girlfriend that will break his heart so he learns something about what it means to her, you know. Um, But I was kind of joking, but not not really. I'm joking on, on square, I guess, to some degree. So it's male and female. It is they're short. They're tall. They're they're big to the sides. Very slender. Some of them. They are Cuban American. They're Puerto Ricanos from New York, New Jersey. Uh, they're Mexican. They're they're every part. But one thing they have in common is this consuming desire to be a writer. You know, they some come from uh, from theater. Some come from. Um, uh, publicity offices, others come from advertising. I mean, everywhere that there is, um, 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 well, I'm missing the word here, but anywhere where there is artistic expression, uh, creative expression, um, these people come from. I mean, they're already there. They're doing something having to do with writing. Uh, Some of them, not too many of them are journalists. Uh, the vast majority come from, um, jobs where they're writing. Whether you had jingles and advertising or publicity and publicity offices, um, or theater. I mean, so they come from so many different
0: disciplines. How do you define Latino? Because, of course, there's a lot of discussion even among Latino circles as to how you can define who a Latino is. It's not a racial class. It's a lot of things. And yet sometimes you have people who you would think are Latino and they don't think of themselves as Latino and vice versa. It's not a language issue. How do you, for purposes of this program and for purposes of your success overall and your ultimate goal, how do you define who is Latino for purposes of participating in the program and how do you define whether they've accomplished the goal that you set out for the program itself? You know,
1: Elena, that is a question that we can go round and round and round and never come to a satisfactory conclusion on. All right, It's kind of a silly type of, Of uh, classification after a while. Because as you well know, Latinos come in all colors, in all racial groups and ethnicities. Um, In East Los Angeles, we have uh, people um, that are white on both sides. But if you speak to them, they'll tell you they're Chicano. You know, and I'm not going to argue with them because that's what they feel in their soul. And who am I to tell them, no, you're not? You know what I mean? If that's what a person feels that he or she is, that's what they are. And so I'm not going to get into, you know, um, what is your background? Was your father white? Was he uh, Latino? Was he Mexican? Who was he? That's an endless kind of question. I go by something that is very simple and very direct. If a person internally feels that they are Latino, they are Latino. And that's good enough for me. Other than that, it becomes this drawn-out conversation that has no end that has all kinds of qualifiers and ifs and buts and conditions and, and we get nothing out of that. A person knows when they feel Latino and they'll feel that way because culturally they were raised that way because they speak or don't speak Spanish. It doesn't matter. If they feel they are Latino, Mexican, Guatemalteco, Nicaragüense, whatever, if they feel they are Latino, they are.
0: Do they get a mandate? that says you have to write something Latino-themed or is, is it just wide open, whatever they choose? How does that work?
1: Wide open. Remember that many of them are writing uh, for a show that they might see that they really may like, okay? Uh, for Modern Family, uh, for instance. I mean, you know, people love that show. So we say to them, write for a show that is on television that you really like. Make it an episode. You understand the characters. You know where they're coming from. Let's be real here. Let's see if you can write a script that is so good that the producers writers of that show are going to want to have you on their staff. You know, it's a. this is a very practical kind of program. It's not, you know, um, so altruistic that after a while you lose track of what it's really for. This is about jobs, Selena. This is about getting people uh, to be the best that they can be in a practical way so they can get the opportunity to write for a living.
0: What's your source of funding? You talked about through the program getting the writers into California and providing housing and a stipend. Where do you get the funds to make this possible?
1: Well, you know the the two studios that were willing to underwrite this were NBC and ABC. And they, both of them, have been great partners. They have been um, great not only about having their diversity staffs mentor some of these people, but also introduce them to the people that do the hiring on the different shows. Uh, NBC has this great program where, in fact, um, they pay the production company that does one of their shows to hire uh... one of the uh... alumni from the different writers programs that they have and that they pay for that writer so that that writer can get their feet wet and go up the the chain so you know they have the interest that they should have a diverse staff because they know very well that it works if everybody thinks along the same way in a writer's room you get the same bland kind of television that we had in years past. When you have people that are diverse in the room, they all bring something very special and very unique to the table. And that's when it really gets good. So both of these networks understand that and do everything they can, they can do to foster that type of diversity within a writer's room.
0: So you have made an initial incursion with the main networks. What about cable? What on? What about online? What's next?
1: You know, um, we're now getting the numbers for cable, and cable, I'm happy to report, um, is doing better than the actual network, ABC, NBC, CBS, um, um, and I won't mention Fox, but they're doing better in terms of minority hiring. In terms of having diverse um, staffs and so forth, and I think part of the reason is because they don't pay the same monies as the regular network, okay, uh, and and they're more willing to take chances. They're more niche oriented than the than the uh, network itself. So there's, you know, just NBC has Bravo, has high sci-fi, has all these. Cable networks that are doing very well um, and tells you that, in fact, the amount of content that they need to have to run their business is just huge. So they're more willing to take chances than the regular networks where they want to appeal to the largest number of people possible.
0: Do you see an online future? There's a lot of talk about production that's specifically designed for online audiences. What do you see there, if anything?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's kind of an exciting time with all this new technology, and a lot of people that are very creative that haven't been able to crack the nut and get into the business They finally say, you know what, screw you. I'm going to do my own stuff. I'm going to do my own work and put it on YouTube, and then I'm going to start uh, getting advertisers so that, in fact, um, I can sustain myself. And several very good people have done that. And even established people uh, in comedy are coming into this arena because they don't have time or have the patience to listen to executives tell them what they should be doing. So I, I tick my hat off to these people. They're entrepreneurs. You know, they're creative entrepreneurs that have the the uh, creativity to do new programming, and then they have the entrepreneurship to to say, I'm going to do this business on my own since I'm not getting a lot of help or or support from the regular network. So, yes, that is opening up, and it's going to open up even more so as we go forward. The music business, as you will recall, is going through exactly the same revolution where, uh, in fact, uh, CDs, as we used to know them, at Tower Records and so forth. That's a thing of the past. A lot of these people are doing their own content in their own um, homes and then putting it out there um, uh, on their own so that, in fact, they can reap the rewards first and foremost. So it's exciting, Elena. It's an exciting time. And, you know, um, for this business, you have to be young. And you have to be young because it is a young person's business. Uh, if you're starting at 60, it's not going to work, you know, unless you have a skill that is so specific to a specific job. But it's a young person's business, and, and for the rest of us that are on the outside looking in and seeing all this talent, it's an exciting time because we can help guide them to um, what we can do for them so that they can have the success that they need and desire, and you know, their success will be our success as well.
0: What would you say, Alex, to our listeners who are in business or academia and nonprofits who want to play a role somehow in this process that you are affecting, either through sponsorship or other means? Is there anything, is there any way that they can participate? to facilitate your program?
1: Of course there is. There is always a way. You know, resources are always important, but so are mentorships. I mean, we need seasoned, stable people that can look at young kids, understand them, and drive them forward by helping them emotionally, by helping them financially. And in terms of our organization, of course, we can look at, it isn't like we're a rich organization, okay? We do what we do because we believe uh, in what we do. We're passionate about our beliefs, and we put every dollar that we can into making this a reality that it needs to be. So do we need money? Of course we do. It's about resources. I had someone call me from the philanthropic area yesterday, and she was asking me, are Latinos good at gift-giving? And I said, you know, we don't have that history of gift-giving. Many of the Latinos that came into this country came with very little. Some had education, but very few had education. But we don't have that history, at least in this country, of gift-giving. But it's becoming a reality. More and more people are seeing that if we don't help our community, who will? And so those that can afford it, my brother is one of them, are giving money back so that, in fact, our, our kids are getting better educated so that our kids have more opportunity than what we were able to have.
0: What would you say to the young people who are listening to us today who are interested in the program, who want to participate in the program?
1: They have to. They, They have to fill out the applications. They need to do what they need to do to get into programs such as this, be it a writer's program, a director's program, an acting program. They need to get into this. You're not going to be so brilliant that without any training whatsoever, you're going to come into the business. It doesn't happen that way. You have to pay your dues. You have to be educated in the craft that you want to exercise so that you have a chance. Other than that, you have nothing to sell. We're out there in the field looking out and saying, I want to, I want to, but without the training, we can't do it.
0: From a big-picture perspective, Alex, what would you say – To people who are trying to get a better understanding of the Latino market, so diverse, for even for Latinos themselves, a lot of times there's a misunderstanding about what it is to be Latino or what the market is all about. What three things would you suggest to folks who are trying to address a Latino audience, who are trying to reach or brand products with the Latino audience in mind?
1: Well, first of all, they have to be very clear about who lives, uh, who the Latinos are that live in this country. The vast majority, 61%, are of Mexican descent. You have to take that into consideration. That's have to take into consideration who else is here and in what numbers. Okay. So once you, you have that data uh, and you do additional research to understand what makes a Mexican think, uh, a Mexican act, I mean, what does a Mexican like? Then you try and go in that direction because that's your audience. Uh, if you want something that is very neutral, that's a difficult one. You know, um, very neutral things sometimes miss the mark because they're too neutral. Uh, so you you gotta see who your demographic is that you're trying to reach. If in fact you're selling a product and and you use some. Something that is so obscure, Latino, but very obscure, you're not going to have uh, great success. But if in fact you see that your market is 61% of Mexican descent, you have a way of going so that you can sell that product. You know, um, nobody is going to be able to sell a product unless they have people internal to their organization that understand the market that is part of the group that you want to reach. It's impossible to culturally think that we're all so alike that we can program for a group that is outside of area of expertise and that somehow we're going to be successful. That doesn't, doesn't stand up to reason, you know. You bring people in that can advise you what is good, what is bad, what will click, what will not click. So, you know, it, it's a process. But you want to sell your product, you better know who you're directing it to.
0: Thank you, Alex, for joining us from Pasadena, California.
1: Thank you. It's been my pleasure.
0: And to our audience, thank you for listening to Alex Nogales, who is president of the National Hispanic Media Coalition, who discussed the National Latino Media Council and National Hispanic Media Coalition Writers Program.